Well, good morning. Welcome to Idlewild Bible Church. My name is Jeremy. I'm the ministry intern here, and I am not Pastor Tim. Uh, Pastor Tim, he's away visiting family this weekend, and so he's uh, thankful for the time to get away. And uh, because of that, we're, we're going to take a little break from our study in Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're going to jump into the first part of chapter 3 in the, the letter uh, to the Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Our focus is going to be on the, the first 13 verses of chapter 3, uh, which Paul is writing. And uh, I think we have some, some great things to, to learn together this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, we've already read it, so we're just going to jump right in. How many of you have heard of FOMO? If you haven't heard of FOMO, it stands for the fear of missing out. And believe it or not, FOMO is a uh, developing into uh, a legitimate social anxiety disorder. Now, I'm not a psychologist or a doctor, but my trusty source, Wikipedia, has some uh, helpful comments on FOMO. Fear of missing out, FOMO, refers to the apprehension that one is either not in the know or is out of touch with some social events, experiences, and interactions. People who grapple with FOMO might not know exactly what they are missing, but can still hold a fear that others are having a much better time or having a much more rewarding experience on the spur of the moment. FOMO could result from a variety of social activities in which one is absent, such as a conversation, a TV show, a wedding, a party, or a delicious restaurant in town. Studies are being done to understand the causes and effects of FOMO, and it was officially added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2013. In an article on Forbes.com titled, Do You Have FOMO? The writer says, most of us have a pretty bad case of FOMO, if you're willing to admit it. It's normal to feel this anticipatory regret from time to time. We may decide we need to stay home and rest on a Saturday night, but we're a bit uneasy to miss the dinner party with our friends. Now, I do think that FOMO is a real thing and in many ways causes a lot of stress and anxiety for people and affects our decisions on a daily basis. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can relate to the writer's words in saying that most of us probably have a pretty bad case of FOMO if we're willing to admit it. At times, I, I know I do. Now, the recipients of Paul's letter had a case of FOMO too. In six chapters, Paul writes a powerful letter filled with many great truths about God's plan of redemption and our election in Christ from all eternity. In somewhat of a, of a digression in the letter, a little bit of a detour, Paul addresses the Gentile Christians' FOMO. And in short, the Gentile Christians have received the message of the gospel from Paul's lips, which we read about in Acts, and they have thus put their faith in Christ, but they were fearful that Paul's imprisonment meant their loss of inheritance. One scholar writes, in particular, he is most concerned, Paul is most concerned that his imprisonment may not upset their faith or cause them to doubt that as Gentiles, their status as fellow citizens with the saints 
was somehow unfounded or in jeopardy. I think like Paul's readers, that if we're really honest with ourselves, there are times in our lives that we're missing out or we think we're missing out as well. We may doubt our salvation in Christ. We may doubt God's faithfulness to us. We may may doubt the choices that we've made and perhaps God is holding something back from us or we're somehow disqualified from receiving His blessing. In a way, I think we all have a little bit of FOMO of the faith. And our passage this morning gets at this point, though on a much, much grander scale. As we enter into Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the birth of the church, one of the major issues that the early church dealt with was with the Gentile status in the kingdom of God. Were they in? Were they still excluded? Paul's imprisonment, even though he wasn't a criminal, caused the Ephesian Christians to question the validity of the message that they had believed. And so Paul, he takes a little break in his letter and he writes in a a very personal style in saying that, no, it isn't true. But in fact, he, he doesn't just reassure them He clarifies for them the mystery of Christ. So as we look at Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 this morning, I want to share with you my my main point, my, my big idea. Paul wants the recipients of his letter to know that the mystery of Christ, which has long been kept secret, has now been revealed. The big idea for them is that the, the that Paul's imprisonment is not a threat to the Gentiles' inclusion in the people of God. And for us this morning, it means that the mystery of Christ, which has been revealed, means assurance of our faith. The mystery of Christ, which has been revealed, means assurance of our faith. I want you to leave this morning with a renewed sense of God's awesome plans to redeem sinners, all of us. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is no male or or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's Galatians 3, 28 and 29. So just as a quick aside, since we're kind of jumping in and taking a break from Ecclesiastes, I want to give you a little bit of context for Ephesians. It's six chapters. Chapters 1 through 3 are generally described as the gospel indicatives. What is, what is true about our faith. And then chapters 4 through 6 are generally described as the gospel imperatives. How are we to live in light of this faith? Paul's writing from prison, as we'll learn, probably from a prison in, in Caesarea or Rome, and it's somewhere in the date range of like 80, 60 to 62. So a lot of the, the canon of Scripture, the New Testament, hasn't been written yet, but will be shortly and it is commonly believed that, that though intended for the Ephesians, this letter was meant to circulate throughout all the churches, which is why we don't see Paul correcting like major issues uh, in the church or challenging major threats like, like he does in his other epistles, in his other letters. So this morning what we're learning is that the mystery of Christ that has been revealed gives us boldness, access, and confidence through our faith in Christ. And as we get into the passage, I've got, got three sub-points for you 
as we go through it. First is the, the mystery disclosed. Second is the mystery defined. And third is the mystery displayed. You could call it the, the three D's of mystery. The mystery disclosed, the mystery defined, and the mystery displayed. So let's go to the first point, the mystery disclosed. Paul begins in chapter 3 by saying, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he breaks, intending to pray for his, his, his recipients, uh, which he does later in verse 14. He breaks from that and he's saying, Well, there is a reason and I want to pray for you, but let me tell you something first. Paul's building off of what he just wrote in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, that say, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So verse 1 really is the beginning of, of Paul's prayer that is picked up in verse 14. But we can still learn some important things here. First of all, that, that Paul is in prison on behalf of the Gentiles. I hope you can see why, why the Ephesian Christians would be a little bit worried because the person that they received the message from is now in jail. The person that they trusted to give them the truth is now in prison, which causes them to question the validity of their faith. Next, in, in verse 2, we, we see Paul's stewardship. We know from Acts that Paul was commissioned by Christ to preach to the Gentiles. When Ananias, the messenger that was going to go to see Paul, is worried that, that Paul, who has a reputation for wanting to kill and to imprison Christians, the Lord goes to Ananias and he says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The language here of, of administration, it suggests this idea of the, the unique plan of God. You could rewrite verse 2 in saying that you have heard of the administration of God's grace or the, you've heard of the management of God's grace that was granted to me for you. And so it's this idea that, that Paul has been given a, a special mission to carry to the Gentiles. And it sounds kind of strange in English to, to say that, that, that somehow Paul managed God's grace. I don't think that any of us manage God's grace. But the, the term here uh, is the idea that he was put in charge of it to administer it as someone else's property. So then how were, were the arrangements made to Paul? How did he know that, that the, he was to do this task? Well, in verse 3 and then up through verse 5, he explains to his readers that the, the mystery that, that he has has been given to him directly from Christ. As you, uh, as you may read and as you see in, in Acts, uh, Luke records for us that Jesus, he met Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul was on his way up to arrest more Christians and, and Jesus met him there. And he changed the direction of his life forever. Not only did he change his direction, but he also gave him a whole purpose of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And of this revelation that he received from Christ, he has written briefly. It's kind of a, a funny phrase. 
And it's referring to the, the end, uh, the, the verses at the end of chapter 2. And so Paul is saying that it is clear that he has insight into the mystery of Christ, which, has not been, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but has now been revealed. Paul recounts the history of redemption as he reminds the people that the sons of men in other generations, speaking about the, the Old Testament saints, were not made known of this mystery. But the good news for the readers and for us this morning is that the mystery has indeed been revealed. The disclosure of the mystery is helpful for us in, in two ways. On a practical note, Paul's words are helpful for us in our reading of Scripture. For it teaches us about Scripture itself. Most importantly, that the clarity of Scripture as it records God's redeeming work through Jesus Christ, which though perhaps implicit in the Old Testament is made explicit in the New Testament. One of the church fathers, Augustine, he puts it, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. In the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. So it's, it's, it's one story of redemption that God is telling throughout history that is progressively revealed through the Scriptures. And in a way, for us this morning, discovery of the mystery for Paul should bring assurance to us as believers. Say, for instance, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Look, one day I was out back, on my, uh, out back sitting on the porch. I was looking at the trees, drinking my cup of coffee, and I was thinking about my life, and then something popped into my head randomly. And I thought, oh, it's a mystery. I should tell people about it. Not only that, but then he gets arrested and he goes to prison. And it's probably because of his crazy ideas. I think that we would question Paul and the validity of his message. They question Paul. You'd wonder if his message was valid. You'd think perhaps that he was a little bit crazy. But Paul knew that in order for the Ephesians to believe his message, he needed to tell them or remind them that he didn't, he didn't make this stuff up, but that he has indeed been given the message of Christ. And it should, it should cause us in our, in our moments of weakness, in our moments of, of doubt, uh, to regain our, our footing as Christians, to remember that the stories we believe are not mere fictional stories or, or, or fictional truths, but that they are historical facts grounded on the person and the work of Christ Jesus. And that should bring comfort to us this morning. So verses 1 through 5 are the, are the mystery disclosed to Paul, given from Christ to Paul on our behalf. And then in verse 6, he, he moves to the, the mystery defined. This is point number 2, the mystery defined. Paul tells his recipients what this mystery is, and he says that there are three things. Number one, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Number two, they are members of the same body. And number three, they are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't really come across in the English so well, but Paul, in his writing, he uses a, uh, a common prefix that suggests this idea of together with. So they are together with heirs. They are together with uh, members of the body. They are together with partakers of the promise. Or they are fellow heirs. Or they are co-heirs. 
This is common for Paul and is used by him to express the, the corporate bond that believers that we have with Christ, but also with one another. So the Gentiles, they are, they are fellow heirs. Concerning fellow heirs, Paul writes in Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So the Gentiles, their, their fear of FOMO and our fear of FOMO, not fear of FOMO, our FOMO, is, is, not, is not valid. The Gentiles, they're, they're, not, they're not being shorted. They're not being given half of the promises or half of the riches or part of the inheritance. They're being given the whole inheritance alongside of the Old Testament saints. They're not missing out. But they are included in all the riches of Christ along with the saints. And then secondly, they are members of the same body. Concerning the one body, you don't have to look very far. In chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul has just finished explaining that Christ, for he is our, himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul knows that, 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 that everybody is a sinner, that we are all sinners. And no matter what background, no matter what education, no matter what home life, that we have been given in Christ the assurance of salvation. And then the Gentiles, they are also partakers of the promise. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, the writer speaks about Abraham and he says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with, the, with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose, whose designer and builder is God. It calls to mind for me how good news, how good of news this would have been and still is today for people who think they are disqualified from God's salvation. You can't be disqualified from God's salvation. Not only is Paul reassuring them that the promises of their faith are not in jeopardy, he is reminding them that they are members of God's people to the fullest extent. Nothing is held back by God. It reminds me of a man we read about in Acts chapter 8, if you want to turn there with me. It's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who had come from afar. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And I want to look at verse 27 with you. Philip, he's been sent by an angel of the Lord to really a random location on a dirt road in the middle of the day, which was probably very hot. But he obeys and he goes. 
And when you meet this Ethiopian eunuch, Luke, the, the, the writer of Acts, the author of Acts, he, he adds a lot of descriptions to this man. And he, Philip, rose and went. This is verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now from this verse, we learn a few things about this man. Number one, that he was not a Jew. He had come from North Africa and had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Then we also learn that he was a eunuch, that he had been set aside in the, in the, uh, in the, the court of, of Candace to serve a special function and therefore would not have a family. We, we also learn and conclude from this that, that he's what the New Testament often calls a God-fearer, a God-fearer. somebody who wanted to uh, participate in worship of, 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 of God but wasn't able to participate fully in God for whatever reason. For this guy as a non-Jew and a eunuch, in a way was, was doubly disqualified from the gospel or from worship in the temple. Yet upon learning from Philip the good news of Jesus Christ that Philip shares with him, which we learn about in verse 35, he's overjoyed to learn that he can now participate fully. This is a, it's, a, it's a fun story because you can see how as the man learns about Jesus, he becomes more and more excited, and they, and they come across uh, a, little, a little stream, a little river, and right away he says, hey, is there, anything, is there any reason why I shouldn't be baptized? According to the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 23.1, he could not participate in worship. But now in Christ, through the gospel, the eunuch who would not have had a family to call his own has become part of God's family. The gospel is good news not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. The gospel in Christ Jesus means that nobody is missing out. Paul is saying to the Ephesians that there is FOMO, NOMO. Oh yeah, that was terrible, huh? So we can turn back to, to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul has told his recipients so far, look, I'm in prison on your behalf, but the message that I gave to you wasn't my own message. In fact, it was given to me from Christ directly. And it is even more clear now than it was a long time ago. And the mystery of Christ means that you can fully participate in the worship of God, that you are a full member of the people of God. And now that we understand this, we can turn to our third point, which is the mystery displayed. Verse 7, in a way, kind of belongs with verse 6. But it's Paul explaining to them that he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Again, Paul reminds them that it's not in my own power that I'm doing this. He knows that he is dependent upon, upon grace and considers, him, and considers himself to be the very least of all the saints. Paul, he compares himself to the, to, to the other apostles, to the other saints. He says, I am the very least. Right now in my house, I, I like to tell Cora that I love her the most. And she'll tell me, no, I love you the most, Daddy. I say, well, I love you more. So we're working on that 
comparative, superlative, and so on. Not really, but uh, I, I like playing with her in that way. Paul is saying, well, I'm the, I'm the very least. He knows that, that as, a, as one who was once an enemy of God, but also active in trying to snuff out the disciples of Jesus Christ, that he has been given grace to preach the unsearchable, the great, the glorious, the marvelous, without number and without measure, riches of Christ. When we look on ver- at verse 10, one commentator puts it like this. He says, So that the following might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the high heavenlies through the church, namely, the multifaceted wisdom of God. Verse 10 gives me great confidence because it, it puts the responsibility on God to make His wisdom known, not on us. The church is on display what you do matters, but God is the one that is making known His wisdom to the world. And then in verse 12, we, we learn and we read that we have boldness, we have access, and we have confidence in Christ. For in Christ, believers confidently approach God in prayer, knowing that He attends to them from His throne. There's no one missing out in Christ Jesus. Paul's imprisonment doesn't jeopardize this for the Ephesians. And that is why he closes the section with his exhortation in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This morning, brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you is that we would not lose heart. God has you. That according to the eternal plan that was executed in Christ Jesus, handed down to the apostles and recorded within the pages of Scripture, is, is, is your faith in Christ. And we need not fear that we are missing out. As I mentioned at the beginning, after, after Paul teaches the Ephesians all these things, he turns his attention, attention to the application of faith in the Christian life. And beginning in chapter 4, he says, I therefore, verse 1, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen, yes. And then in verse 25 of the same chapter, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now this is just a small snippet of Paul's instructions in the remaining chapters. And I encourage you uh, today or this week to spend time with Ephesians and read 4 through 6. But remember that you can't really understand chapters 4 through 6 without understanding chapters 1 through 3. I watched a a movie over my break that I enjoyed. It was called Dunkirk. It's uh, one of Christopher Nolan's latest films. 
And in this film, he portrays one of the greatest rescue stories that has ever happened in the history of the world. On this beach, there were Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France, and they were all surrounded by the German army and were being forced to evacuate during a very fierce battle in World War II. Now, if ever there was FOMO for a soldier, this was the time to experience it as the soldiers did whatever it took to get off of the beach into a boat that would hopefully take them to safety. And one of the scenes towards the end of the film, after, after they have failed and, and they've been forced back onto the beach, these British soldiers, they join up with a small group of Scottish soldiers and they hide in an, in an unoccupied boat that's just stranded on the beach because of the low tide. Their hope is that they would hide in the boat until the tide comes up, then it would float and then they could be on their way to safety. But as they're waiting there inside the boat, the German soldiers, they start, with target, they start doing target practice at the boat. And so there's these bullet holes that are coming into the boat, and they know that once the tide comes, that, that means water's going to come into the boat. And so the soldiers, they, they know, well, we need, to, we, need to, we need the boat to lose weight. And so they begin to argue with one another about who should get out of the boat. They, they put it on uh, this one guy who hadn't spoken very much, and they're claiming for him to be a German spy. And this one guy, he, he uh, stands up for him, and, and there's kind of this great controversy about who should get out of the boat because they know that if somebody gets out of the boat, they're going to be killed. And so they become divided about who should get out and who should stay in and who belongs and who doesn't. And I think like the soldiers, we all come from different backgrounds and we come from different places. Like the Gentile Christians in Paul's letter, at times we doubt the assurance of our faith. And I think we all have fear of missing out. But the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it rids us of this anxiety To draw towards the conclusion, because the mystery of Christ has been revealed, we have boldness, access, and confidence to God through the gospel. Now, we don't need to fear that our faith is somehow in trouble. We learn from Paul that the mystery of Christ has been revealed by God in fullness now, that we know what he has been up, that, that what his plan is has been for all eternity. The mystery of Christ, it destroys any fear of our losing out. And the mystery of Christ is a reason that we should not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, may our time this morning be a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and, our confidence, and may our confidence be in His work on our behalf. That's the best news of the gospel that I often remind myself that it is not my work that, that gains me salvation, but that it is Christ's work that gains us salvation. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that your Son has made a way for us to know you. Thank you that, that he came to this earth to die for our sins that we might have forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that he rose from the grave, that we might have hope of the resurrection. 
And thank you, Father, that he came to save all peoples. For we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And I pray, Lord, that as your word is applied to our hearts this morning, that we would have confidence and assurance of our faith. But if we're missing out because we are not in Christ Jesus, may your Holy Spirit do the work in the hearts of those that are lost. Thank you, Father, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you have given us everything that we need in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.